0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our
1: global community to
0: raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients.
1: To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon, or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation.
0: Morning, David. Morning,
1: buddy. bright and early today. You've dragged me out of bed at, well, I was up at six. (laughs) Well, I wasn't—I wasn't, I wasn't long, uh, long after that, actually. So it's been an early start. We are caffeinated already. Oh, I to had roll. to drive to your house. You just had to roll out of bed. That's true. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like I win. Um, how's your week, man? Busy, busy. Yeah. I can't believe it's already Wednesday. Oh, it's Wednesday today, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, they're just flying by. Seems like Christmas is. I saw a couple of shops in the centre the other day oh, getting ready with the Christmas decorations. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's just we roll from one festival, or holiday to the next. Lots so, of
0: business consulting for you.
1: Yeah, it has been. It's been pretty busy. Lots of people reaching out for help at the moment. As we've discussed, it's an interesting economic period and we've got a consolidation going on in the space at the moment, I think globally. So there's a lot of people starting to go, oh, need to... Uh, mm, need some help. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of relevant to the discussion we're having today. Yeah. So we're joined all
0: the way from, well, you're not in London, but you're based in London, but you're on holiday in San Fran at the moment, right. but Dr. Askari Townshend. So welcome, Askari. How are you today? Um,
2: I'm good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm a little jet lag still.
0: And what are you doing in San Fran? Is it business, pleasure, both? It was a family holiday. Nice. It was a
2: family holiday. That that was the plan. Very right?
0: nice. Now, every time I listen to Joe Rogan or some sort of American podcast, they talk about San Fran and, you know, a lot of the states, there's all these homeless people around. Is that true? Is that That's a visible thing? True.
2: It is. I was just having coffee with my wife on Union Square, and there was a guy just a few meters away. I don't know what he'd taken, um, but he was. I'd love to say he was having a good time, but I don't think he was. It, no, it's, it's wow. actually really quite sad. There's a lot of um, very unwell people walking the streets, and in a place that is so wealthy, yeah, it, it, it's it's very yeah, it's very sad.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. It's it's a really sad growing trend, unfortunately. I think there's a lot of things in the yeah. world at the moment that are in my opinion, a little bit upside down. You've, you know, you've got people in, in, in their own country that aren't getting proper medical support. There's a failing, you know, social security system and yet we're spending money and <laughs> doing things overseas. And it's just, it's a mess. It is a real mess, but let's not get into that today. I was going to say, let this, let's get <laughs> off this depressing note and talk about yes. um,
0: all about Askari So Askari tell our listeners about you because I think you've been in the industry a while, but I think you've been in the industry longer than I have. And that, so where did it all yes. start? So yeah,
2: it's been 17 years now. Um, So I went to med school in Nottingham in the UK. I qualified and wanted to become a surgeon. I was on a surgical training scheme. And then the government here started changing the way that medical training was working. And so I chose to leave the NHS, knowing that it wasn't going to be the best employer for me for the rest of my life and for my family and by that time i'd already been injecting for a couple of years i back in those days you just turned up and did a, a one day course so this was 2006 and i found that i was pretty good at it and so when i left the nhs it seemed like a natural thing to do this full time and so i set up my first clinic this was in northampton in 2008 when there was a huge global recession going on so it was tough but two years later, we were doing well enough that the UK's largest chain of clinics called Skin came and bought my clinic, and I went to work for Skin for five years. And that was a great way to understand how this industry works and, and how the the big boys do it. Yeah. And by the end of that five years, I was their director of medical services. So I was understanding how the business worked on a different level. And when I finished there, um, I felt confident enough, and I'd saved up some money to open up Askinology, which is now eight years old. We are in the financial district of London, opposite a famous building called the Lloyds building, and we do good business there. Um, So yeah, this is how I've ended up here. You know, along the way, I was a trainer and a speaker and yada, yada, yada.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, up until you starting your clinic, that was basically my life story. Started as a surgeon, got peed off with the training and
1: found out you're pretty good at (laughs) Botox and (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's such a common story, isn't it? Yeah. It is, it is. Um, so let's let's kind of maybe address the elephant in the room. And we sort of, you know, you're a very successful cosmetic doctor over in the UK, as you've just told us about. You're also the founder of a software system for aesthetic practitioners around the world yeah. um, called Columns. And we'd heard about Columns through right. various colleagues within the industry. Our, our good friend, Rick O'Neill from Look, Touch & Feel was right. sort of singing your praises and talking about how great the software was. And as recently as last week, you had a, a little bit of a disaster with some with some funding issues, which I guess turned your world upside down. I heard you were about to board a plane with your family when when you got the news, which would have been quite traumatic, I would assume, and making it hard to enjoy. And subsequently, you yeah. sent out some correspondence to your clients, let them know of the news. And I think since then, your world's been turned upside down, as I said. So maybe let's start with that, because I think that's kind of relevant to the rest of the, the way the conversation's going to going to flow. So can you speak to that a little bit?
2: I certainly can. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a horrible week uh, or two even, probably the worst of my life ever. Yeah. Um, but it's quite a simple story. Um, I had some new funding uh, agreed some time ago, and I've been waiting on my lawyers and accountant to confirm that everything uh, had been signed and sealed. And on Friday, sitting at the terminal in Heathrow, I got a very different message, which is that the funding wasn't going to go ahead after all. This was completely out of the blue. Um, you know, the global financial situation has been very tough for a yeah. long while. I think everybody knows that. And this was just one of the many casualties of that. Um, and that was it. So I, I had to make some big decisions over that weekend. And the bottom line was that without that money, it was going to cost me around about thirty-five 000 to £40,000 a month to wow. keep the project going in its current form. And I had already put in, um, what, ran about 1.4 million of my own money, and that was it, that, that there was nothing left. And so I simply did not have that money to keep going in its current form. So over the next couple of days, I was trying to think, what were all the different options? And the kind of things going through my mind was, well, I could just liquidate the company. Let's just go insolvent. And that way you can avoid all the creditors. Um, it just stops. And that's it. For me, that was never a a real option. Um, It's just not how I do things. I wouldn't have felt that that was a moral thing to do. And for all of my customers using that software, it would have been disastrous for Mm -hmm. them to have had to switch off their businesses uh, with no notice. So the only other option really was, well, how can I kind of exit this as quickly as possible, but without that ultra nuclear option? And so I calculated it was going to cost me 60,000 to pay all of my kind of creditors and ensure that the business would still run for another 30 days. And I felt that 30 days, although not very much time, was enough time for our customers to find alternative providers. And like I say, that was going to be 60K. And I kind of felt that that was just a thing that I was going to have to suck up um, so that people would have that opportunity to keep their businesses running. Um, and then I think the next thing was about honesty and transparency. And so on the Monday, when I made that decision, I got on the call to my biggest customers and told them personally before the messages went out. And then when the messages went out, I thought it was important, not just to send it to customers, but for the whole world to see on LinkedIn, on Facebook, because, you know, the rumor mill will start people make up their own spin, competitors will come and try and rubbish our software and make up other reasons as to why this happened. This happened because it was just unfortunate. And this was a global global thing. So that's what led up to the first round of announcements going out. But as we know, the story developed further.
0: (laughs) Well, firstly, I'm sorry to hear that. That Mm. sounds incredibly tough. And (laughs) just to say to anyone listening, this isn't like a pitch as such to to help Ascari, but you know, maybe by the end of it someone mm. out there may think that, that this is worth uh investing in or resurrecting or even just talking to you about it. But um first of all, what 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 is columns? Let let's just talk about what the product is and then we can sort of dissect what what has happened. So when did you build it? How did it come even about? Because you're a doctor so it's not really yeah. a, a logical thing to do. <laughs>
2: No. Well, the way it came about was that in my time in aesthetics, I've used six different softwares, including some very you know, well-known ones that I think everybody would would know about. And I just wasn't really happy with them. And I think this is a common refrain from doctors, nurses, practitioners across the world. And I'm one of those people who feels that if you're going to grumble about something, you need to do something about it. Otherwise, just stop grumbling and, and put up with it. And so, I, I, yeah, I, I knew that i wanted to do something in this space because i felt that there was a gap and i woke up one day something else had happened with our software provider back in 2016 and i just felt this was i just had enough Mm. the impact on my business was so significant rather that i just didn't think i could continue relying on this particular provider two years later um i'd saved up some money and COVID had come along which meant i had to shelve a project was going to expand my clinic within the uk or within london rather and so the money i'd saved up for that project i thought actually this is maybe my time to do the software product uh, project and that was it it was it was born out of frustration it was i guess me setting off on a a crusade to create a solution to a problem that i knew i had and many of my colleagues had also yeah I didn't ask the other question. What what is Columns? Okay, so people like to use this acronym, CRM, Mm -hmm. and that stands for Customer Relationship Management. Now, Columns is way more than that. It's not just about trying to communicate or manage your customer base. I describe it as a business in a box. It's everything you need to run your business. So practice management software or clinic management software, I think, is a more appropriate um, terminology for these softwares.
0: And how how do you go from a doctor being in covid to suddenly having software and and i guess what i'm asking is how much funding did you need in the initial phases and who did you go to like who who has the expertise to you know you can't you can't design this yourself so who do you go to and how how complicated is that challenge getting something in its initial iteration up and running
2: it yeah, it's interesting you say that you can't design it yourself But you can. Um, I've actually designed every page in columns. So everything that you see, everything you touch has been designed by myself. The flows have been designed by myself. And what I did was drew upon the experience of those six different softwares that I'd used, Mm. plus what I felt I would want in my own clinic. And I, I put it down on paper. Well, not quite paper. There are programs that you can use to wireframe. That's the terminology for creating a page and where you want buttons to go and what you want them to do. So I started wireframing the project at the back end of 2018. I got introduced to a developer who had a team. They had built um, a large shopping brands online website, a, a brand called Waitrose, and they'd worked with other very large brands. And so we slowly started just putting a prototype together. And then when COVID hit, I knew that I wanted to use that downtime really productively. And I set myself a goal, which was that when COVID allowed us to open up our businesses again, I would have software that was in a place that it could run my own clinic. And and that's what we did. We we just put our foot down and we built out really quite a comprehensive system. And how much did it take? I mean, at the height, I was probably spending about 60K a month to get this team of developers to build this. It was a it was a big deal. It was a very big deal. But I guess I just truly believed in the project. I believed that the market needed something different. And I knew that I personally needed something different for my
1: own business. Yeah. What was it that you think was missing from all the other software systems that you'd looked at? I mean, I've been in the industry for 20 years and I haven't yet to see one that does it all. They're, They're generally either really good on the front end, they look great, nice interface, intuitive, but potentially lacking in so the way that you can splice and dice data and run certain reports on, you know, automation, all those yeah. kinds of things. So I always felt, from my perspective, you were compromising somewhere. You were sort of giving up something yeah. because there was, you know, <laughs> there was something great about it, but there was also something lacking. So, from your perspective, what was it that you saw was just okay. common amongst all these in terms of what they didn't have or needed to have?
2: I think to preface all of this, I think that word you used was compromise, which yeah. is a really important word. There is always going to be a compromise because every business is different. Practitioners want to use their softwares in different ways. A compromise is always important to bear in mind. So I always knew we needed to compromise. But there were two things, I think, for me that jarred me. The first was that my feeling, and it's my personal feeling, was that software was being built by software developers who wanted to get into this space. Mm and then tried to figure out what it was that we wanted. Mm. And I'm sure that they spoke to some people and and thought they got a good amount of information. But for me, it never quite hit the button. It was clearly driven by somebody who was a non-clinician or somebody who did not use this software day to day. So that was my feeling about other softwares. And I wanted to create software that felt like it was built for you. And I think that's what we have achieved. And then there's the second part of it, which was, again, my personal feeling was that, I didn't like the way that I was treated by these other companies. Some were better than others. um, But I, with Mm -hmm. some of them, had a feeling that my business was not respected. Uh, There was not an understanding that this software was critical to my business. And so when you didn't fix something that didn't work, it actually affected my business on a day-to-day. And it cost me money. And that really upset me because I think we're all here to try our hardest build our businesses, support our families and the like. And it just, yeah, kind of went against everything I hold dear about life and supporting each other, doing the best that you can. And yeah, it sounds, I think it sounds a bit preachy, probably sounds a bit cliched, but that's what it was.
0: It's such a good point. I mean, you said at one point you were burning through 60k a month, you know, obviously your own personal money. And You know, we we speak to injectors all the time. We we run Mm. our Patreon and we've got 230 people using it. And we often talk about clinical software and which one's the best one and all this stuff. And there are, of course, some people using Columns, which is how we found about your problem because they were freaking out. Um, And there's this mismatch between what people are willing to invest in a month for a license to use something like Columns Versus what yeah. you're spending to to create it and run it every month, yeah. and yeah. F- for whatever reason, you know we hear it all. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I'll give you a funny example today, and obviously, won't use a name, but someone was discussing the price of preserved saline, uh, bacteriostatic right. saline, and they said, "Oh, it's you know yeah. it's pretty pricey." I was like, "Okay, well, if you boil it down." And, and looking at the prices, I won't go through the maths, but it basically worked out at being $1.90, I think it was, extra per 100 units of Botox. And right. I thought, well, for a for really painless experience, that's a really good investment. It's not expensive. So it's right. just funny how people think about an investment of what they're going to get for their money. And, you hmm. know, running something like Columns, you, you said it yourself, it's not just customer relations. It's your. It's a clinic in a box. It's your whole Ecosystem of how your business runs, and yeah, people often want to just scrimp and save on that. So I've I've never quite understood that. But what's your experience?
2: I I recognise everything you've said there. Um, I don't know why it is, but I have a couple of thoughts. Thought number one is that we have the NHS in the UK, and I do think it's a problem more within the UK than outside. And I think Rick, you know, messaged our group earlier that. It does seem to be more of a UK thing. And I think the NHS is the worst business school ever on the planet. <laughs> and that's not to denigrate the NHS. The NHS is not there to churn out business people, right? If we all tried to get onto Dragon's Den, we'd be laughed off it. <laughs> so that's the first thing, is that we don't have the business acumen that perhaps um, other parts of the world have because of the NHS. And I think the second thing is a global um, issue, which is that, Great software is used every single day on our phones, on our computers, and it's free. Okay, Facebook, uh, all the social networks. So we're used to having this really slick, great experience with software for free. And then we pay some money for it, and we don't get the same beautiful journey. And it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think those two things have something to do with it. I don't mm. think that's the whole answer, but
1: mm. something. Well, those software programs aren't really free. They're free to you, but they're being funded by people that are using them to capture your data for advertising and and whatever else. So, it's (laughs) not exactly free. I think that something worth considering as well, is, and and this sort of falls back on a lot of the experiences that I've had with my private clients, is that most people don't use their software systems really, like at all, in terms of the level of capability that they can sort of go to and, and the functionality that they have. A lot of them are just using them as Booking systems. Booking systems. So, I mean, they might as well yeah. use Excel and a and a calendar. Really, it, it doesn't seem yeah. like there's a there's a large number of people utilizing them to the to the to the best of the of their ability in terms of how they, as I said, you know, use it to automate their processes, communicate with different segments of their of their client database, etc. So, do you think that there's some truth to that in terms of people not seeing value because they just don't know how to use it properly, or they're just not For some reason, something hasn't clicked over in their mind that, hey, this is a really crucial part of my business. And if I utilize this to the full of its capabilities, I'm going to have some pretty powerful tools at my fingertips in terms of how I generate my business.
2: I I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, uh, I would go a little bit uh, deeper, perhaps. I think the first thing is that I talked already about the NHS not being a great business school. Mm. So I think uh, people's approach to their businesses, the way they might run their businesses or grow their businesses, perhaps could do with some with some help in, in some mm. you know, in some areas. I think you're quite right about people perhaps not knowing how to use the systems, but sometimes I don't think that's their fault. Some mm. of these systems are quite complicated to use, and that's one of the things I've been trying to change is make those journeys easier so that people who aren't IT wizards can actually use those systems. Yeah. So cleaner, easier journeys is something that Columns is all about. Yeah. Then we have this idea of, well, how have you set up your system? Some of these systems are really quite sophisticated. And it's like getting into a Formula One racing car and not bothering to adjust the brakes or the clutch. Or, you know, you think you can just get it and, and off you go and you can't. You have to set up the system um, for your needs. And it's one of the things I think most systems are not good at. In my entire career, I have never had a software system give, give me advice on how to set up my system for my business. And that's one of the things we prided ourselves on in columns or do pride ourselves on is that when you come on board, if we think your data is not set up correctly, we're gonna let you know about it. And we'll give you advice on how to set it up correctly so it's best placed to make the most of our system. And you know, why would you know how to set up your data? If you've come to a new system, you don't know how the new system works, and so it's not surprising that you just do the best that you can and then you see if it works out or not. Yeah. And many times, guess what? It doesn't work out so well. So yeah, there's a whole heap of things. And you know what? The last one, sorry, just the last one to get in there is that the elephant, is it the elephant in the room, or maybe people know about this, is that some systems have functionality that just doesn't work as it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So the thing that surprised me the most is that when we do our demos, we'll ask questions such as, do you use reports to calculate your commissions at the end of the month and people say well there is a feature to do that but we don't do it though we run the reports manually and then we have our own spreadsheet to work it out and, oh, why is that well it doesn't seem to work properly and we don't trust the numbers that come out so the feature that you thought was going to save you three hours a month and one of the reasons why you bought the software doesn't actually work that well mm. so you're not taking advantage of it and you're doing it manually anyways And I can run that same story and anecdote with lots of things, you know, stock keeping, uh, you know, your hours reports, your commissions reports. So one of my other big things was let's make sure that whatever we build, it really works well. And if people come back to us and say, hey, there's a problem with your report, we take that so seriously. We Mm. jump on that straight away because if the report doesn't work, people don't have trust in your system and they don't use it, uh, you know, and and get the value of its uh, functionality.
0: Yeah. Do do you find... In fact, I want to circle back to my previous comment. Um, firstly, I think that just basically doctors and nurses don't have much business acumen, and I include myself in that sort of um, broad statement, because we don't. We, we went to medical school, nursing school, and yes, I grew up in the NHS as well, and y- y- you don't have a concept of money in the NHS, because everything's, right. well at the point of uh, where the service is delivered, it's free, right? You never see a transaction, yeah. a credit card, cash, just doesn't happen. So from that perspective, I think that people don't have a concept of money. And I, I sort of jokingly used the example of the Salem, And I, I didn't mean that as sort of a, a disparaging comment against whoever said it. I can't even remember now. It was more just a case of we need to change our, our, our mindset of, of money, because we're we're the business owner now. We're not the we're not just taking stuff off the shelf in the hospital. So you sort of have to right. think about value and and you know your CRM system is buying people time. You know if you're if you're messing around for three hours doing a manual report that that columns could do for you, you're wasting three hours of of, of money because mm-hmm. you could be earning money injecting or whatever it is. Yeah.
2: Oh, God. And I love that you mentioned that that word value. <laughs> Okay, that's really important because that relationship with money, but that idea of value is really important. Um, and what's interesting is that we do spend money and we we know how to spend money as medics, we spend it on training. Mm. We spend it on fancy laser machines and like we spend thousands and thousands on conferences on professional memberships and the like. But then when it comes down to the thing that is going to be the beating heart of your business. And allow you be the gateway to earn you tens if not hundreds of thousands of pounds when it comes to that thing all of a sudden oh 99 pounds a month really oh i want it 50 pounds a month yeah and actually if you think about it i I think about my business what would happen if my business got switched off for one day would lose a huge amount of money what should i value my software that keeps it running as i mean i probably should be spending like a thousand pounds a month on my my I mean, I don't. <laughs> <But> I probably <laughs> should, though, right? If I'm thinking about the value, probably more.
0: Yeah. Can, can I ask, I, I don't think I've got to the end of my question, the 60 grand that you were burning through every month or needing to, what actually did that go on? Is that staff that you're employing? Is that developers? Is that running a server and electricity bills? Like, What, what is it that, that is costing so much?
2: The biggest cost is, are, are the humans. Um, and, you know, good developers are not cheap in fact they're very expensive mm. um and that's it right because you have facebook and people like that you will scoop up all the very best developers who are earning huge amounts of money and if you it's a bit like building your house if you don't get good builders in your house is not going to be any good and if you want you can go and buy you know get the cheap guy to come in but you're not going to do that, are you? You're not going to house your family in that house. Mm. So that's what it was, really. Developers, um, people to oversee the developers, the project managers, etc. cetera. Um, then, of course, you do have um, your costs regarding server mm. and the like, but that wasn't the, the majority of that bulk.
1: Mm. I think it could be worth circling back to the word value that you, you spoke about in terms of people really having... An understanding of how much they can benefit from having a system that takes care of a lot of potentially manual tasks so if you've got a staff member who's working within your business that's doing I guess confirmation phone calls sending out emails running reports I mean if you could find a piece of software that did all that I mean the amount of money you could save yourself on a salary every year it's sort of the cost of the software pales in comparison to that and sort of just to continue continue on with that, that train of thought, I think this is my observation is that we've been very spoilt in this industry for a long time. Uh, we're now reaching a point, I've spoken about this sort of relentlessly on the podcast, as we are now heading into a, a point of consolidation within this industry globally. We have been enjoying a very nice upward trajectory of growth that has been exponentially building on itself year on year. And it's still, there's plenty of there's plenty of opportunity still within the industry and it's still growing, but the number of competitors that are out there now is huge. And I think that a lot yeah. of people have become successful in spite of having zero business acumen <laughs> or not paying attention to their software system or really knowing how to farm their client database, what data reports to run, you know, efficient yeah. stock controls, automating processes, making sure that your customer service is on point and the way that you can. I guess refine that and and sort of make that run better through a software system. People haven't really had to think about that because in spite of not doing all these basic business principles, uh, adhering to these business principles that other mature industries need to adhere to, they've still made money. And so now I think is the time where people need to really understand that the industry is changing, we do have a a fiercely competitive uh, marketplace, and you need every advantage and edge that you can get and having a software system whether it's columns or something else that is being utilized to its full capabilities and really taking control of your business and running your business rather than letting it run you is what's going to separate people who are going to continue to be successful and those that potentially fall by the wayside. And by the time they figure out what's happened, it's going to be too late. What, what do you think about that?
2: Again, it sounds like we've uh, been swapping ideas, but <laughs> I, I agree with a lot of that. Um, There are some other things. I think you've given all the really top headline items there, but there are other ones that are perhaps a bit more subtle. So for example, um, staff turnover is something that happens in all businesses. When you get new staff, you want them to be able to learn how to use your software as quickly as possible. You want them to make as few mistakes as possible because mistakes are costly. And so again, one of the things I was really focusing on is how do we make sophisticated software, really easy to understand and easy to use. Now, it's something we shout about on our website, but it's very difficult to convey that idea when we bring on people into my clinic now and they train up on columns, the kind of feedback we get is, wow, this is so easy. This is easier than anything I've used before. The quicker they can get comfortable with using columns, the quicker they can be left on the desk by themselves the quicker they're trusted to do the processing of invoices and whatever it might be. There's a big saving there in terms of that retraining. There's a great saving in terms of when they don't know how to do something. Do they need to get onto the support line with the software to work it out? Or can they have a little look for a support article? Or can they just work it out themselves? Wouldn't that be great? If you're on Amazon trying to figure out how to return something, you don't need to go to the Amazon help page to work it out. You kind of oh, I'm going to click on my order and maybe there's an option there to refund my order. So all of these types of things help improve that efficiency with human resource. And it's often a human resource, which is the most expensive yeah. thing. Alongside everything you just talked about there, improving processes, becoming efficient. Whereas I think we've become really obsessed with social media marketing. Let me put a load of money behind this pay-per-click or let me put money behind this post and get new customers in rather than concentrating on the processes and looking after our existing customer base. It's so much easier to get more out of your existing customers than to get new ones. So let's create experiences. Let's look after those people with slick messaging, automated messaging that looks after them through their journey. And I think we're going to have stronger businesses and everything you just talked about there. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that's interesting, isn't it? The concept of really valuing the, the, the client database that you have and the patients that are already coming to see you. And I think that especially here in Australia, we've been sort of dominated over the last five to ten years by chain clinics or high street clinics, you might call them in the UK, and they've, they've started to infiltrate your market as well. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, was, I was part of those businesses for a long time. And there is such an emphasis on new client acquisition and not a lot yeah as you said on retaining them and when you think about it even you know jake you can probably speak to this as well and probably yourself as well as is that as a clinician i'm assuming that you want to get to a point where you don't probably need any more patients mm. because you're familiar with the, the patients that you have you develop relationships with them they become easier because it's almost like a blind date i would assume for you guys every time a patient <laughs> walks in to your treat- treatment room you don't know what you're going to be met with whether there's a match there in terms of expectations and and the aesthetic that you're trying to create, whether there's mental health issues, whether you want to treat that person, so many unknowns. It's like, you know, you're walking into, I said, like a blind date and it's like, where is the emphasis on retention? And those customers are going to be people that are likely to refer new customers to you. And chances are, if someone's embedded in your business and you've got a great relationship and you're aligned on values and aesthetics, that their friends are probably gonna be similar to them. So you're gonna be acquiring like-minded patients rather than playing this game of Russian Roulette every time a new patient walks in, whether they're gonna fit for you or not. And then just thinking about the cost of acquisition. You know, if you're running sort of Google ad Mm -hmm. campaigns or you're in a highly competitive space, SEO, Instagram ads, trying to come up with sort of content. I mean, I see, you know, it all the time, people trying to find ways to get people's attentions through dances that they're doing or like funny things. And it's like, what are we doing here? what 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 why what's going on why it's all it's for me coming from you know a business background you know looking at the industry a lot of stuff that goes on doesn't make a lot of sense but maybe you guys can talk to that maybe (laughs) JD.
0: well firstly i completely agree i mean when i look at my day my clinic day and i see all my regulars i go yes (laughs) it's just such a sweeter happier smoother day and of course I like to mix it up with the, the variation of a new a new patient, a new challenge, a new conversation, but you, you, you're very right. It's, it's a bit of Russian roulette. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get. And I don't know if the world's just going crazy. We've had a few interesting patients recently where it's caused huge disruption to the clinic because they just were not suitable patients. And it causes a bit of anxiety. You never know what, what quite is going to happen when that patient arrives. Uh, and Well, it messes... In, sorry, go, jump in.
2: Oh, I Um I was going to say just it messes with those processes. So um, the processes that David was just talking about that you've set up, they're efficient, they work smoothly, and then you get these unknowns that get thrown in and it can disrupt the staff, it can disrupt existing customers and existing patients. And so what I aim for, and I think everybody should be aiming for this, is that you build up your customer base until you max it out. And then you have natural attrition, right? People leave, they go elsewhere, maybe they don't have as much money as they used to. And so actually the goal then is just to get enough new patients to fill those that are leaving at the other end. Mm. And that's the equilibrium that you want to achieve. And so I don't want to kind of show off too much about this, but here we are eight years in with Askinology and we have never really use pay-per-click we don't have social yep. media gurus working on it i mean our social media is pretty laughable is the truth uh, our website doesn't have glossy ladies with white teeth and the like on it but we have a really great business that yep. works fantastically well because we focus on the processes
0: yeah i probably don't follow me on Instagram, but I I, I just can't be bothered anymore. I just, I I was never one to sort of dance around and do, do all that kind of stuff. But I did put a lot of effort into some of my content in terms of just thinking about what do I want to say or make it funny Mm -hmm. or something. But I just can't be bothered anymore. It's just,
1: (laughs) welcome to my team. (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, it, it wasn't for attention, but of course it's, it's marketing in a way it's, it's marketing your personality or, you know, something, but I just, I mean, I'm lucky I'm busy, but also I just feel like it's too much effort. And just as you guys have said, let's work on my existing database. Let's really look after those patients. Let's remarket to them. Obviously, so, you know they don't all come back yeah. exactly when you want them to. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and you know, trying to get new patients, it's, it's expensive. It is expensive. And expensive. difficult. And it feels yeah. like a fishing trawl. Yeah. You, you, you're sort of scraping from the bottom of the ocean. You don't know what's in that net,
1: really. And, and then there's also a lead, a lead time or a relationship development process that needs to sort of take place where they're not going to just... Well, there's exceptions or outliers to every to every rule, but I mean, generally the first time a patient walks into your clinic or your treatment room, they're not going to drop thousands of dollars mm. the first time they've met you on a whole bunch of fillers and collagen stimulators and a face full of tox. Like that's that happens, but it's like maybe one in a hundred, one in a couple of hundred patients would I know it depends on your clinic, I guess. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a long-standing relationship with a patient and you're on an aesthetic journey and there's, you know, continuity of care and they trust you, mm. you know, and you've built that relationship, like they're going to be spending more money with you more frequently with far less effort. Yeah, It's sort of like, as I said, like trying to impress someone on a first date to convince you to go on a second date. Whereas if you're already in a relationship with someone, yeah. unless you someone screws something up, um, it should just continue on quite nicely. Mm. I'm,
0: I'm curious to know, right. I, I haven't had a chance to play with columns, but obviously I've you know, looked at the website, but what mechanisms in columns are there to you know, re-engage your database? Like, d- does it have marketing functions or I- integrations yeah, with email? Does.
2: Yeah, I, um, I want to kind of uh, put a little bit of flesh on the bone about the, the expenditure, because there'll be people listening to the yep. podcast who say, 60 grand a month, what on earth were you doing? <laughs>
0: yeah
2: what i hadn't appreciated when i first started this project was that the space has become much more sophisticated and customers have become much more discerning so when i first kind of really got into cloud-based crm and i can say their name you know paboo were the first in the uk to come to the scene with a cloud-based crm Um, it was new it was exciting it was like something we hadn't seen before really and it took off great timing by the time I came around to building columns, that wasn't a thing anymore, right? Cloud-based systems that you could use on your device anywhere in the world, that wasn't something special. By that time, they're looking for integrations on 62 different other softwares, and they've got a list of 18 things that they must have, and they want it all for 49.99. Mm-hmm. And so what I was doing was burning through a lot of cash to build a system that could come to the market quickly, that was mature, and had some really great functionality because the reality is if we came to the market with just online booking calendar bookings and a couple of other bits well it wouldn't have done anything and so what we were doing was pressing you know turbo boost to try and get up there and come up with a really uh, impressive product which i think is what we've done so um yeah how do we remarket we've made this really easy so yes there's a marketing module you can set up a remarketing or uh, yeah, recall marketing rule within a couple of minutes, and the way that it works is you you click on some rules and you say, hey, I want to speak to all customers that have a gender that equals female, and then you can make another rule: everybody whose age is greater than forty or less than forty or between thirty and sixty, whatever you want to do, and you keep adding rules until you've got the the group of people you want to speak to, and then you connect to it a, an SMS or an email and then you set the rules of it being sent out. So what we do in Askinology is we have automated rules that run every single day. The system wakes up and it says today, who had a Botox treatment six months ago, but hasn't come back and had another one? Ah, okay, 62 patients. We're gonna email those 62 patients say, hey, we haven't seen you for a while. Why don't you come back and have a half-price hydrafacial? Click here to book online. And we have those rules set up for all the different categories. We have them set up for products. So, hey, you bought a sun protection cream six weeks ago. It's probably running out. Why don't you come back and get a new one and get 5% off, whatever it might be? And what it means is you can come into clinic each day and see new bookings in your diary. You didn't do anything. You just went to sleep and you woke up and saw those bookings there. And that's how you leverage your existing yeah. database instead yeah. of thinking, well, what am I going to put on Instagram today? What, how much paper <laughs> yeah. click do I have to put? No, it's free. Don't pay any money for it. Just run those automated rules. Yeah. But you've got to take a few minutes to create the rules, right? You can't have someone do it for you. Yeah. One of the difficulties I've had is people saying things like, oh, I thought this was all going to be set up for me mm. and kind of feeling disappointed that we haven't done it all. How can I set it up for you? I don't know what your tone of voice is. I don't know what message you want to send. All I can do is make it as easy as possible for you to create it and show you how to do it. So there's that last bit of you just got to go and do it, but it's just not as exciting as doing a new Instagram post with the funny dance or whatever. Um, <laughs>
0: but
2: we do need to focus on those things, right? They're the things that make you money.
0: Yeah. So when you onboard a, a new customer for columns in the past, d- how do your I don't know your business development managers or yourself or whoever engages with them? How do you understand their business to best set it up for them? And I guess deeper than that how does a listener listening to this understand what they need yeah and do you know what
2: um, a lot of people are very honest and open about that so when they first come on board and we start probing with a few questions it becomes quite apparent that people perhaps don't know exactly what they're after and they will start asking us questions and because it's my company and for 17 years i've had the privilege of seeing many different types of businesses through my training, my time with skin, et cetera, very quickly, I can understand what's going on in that business. And, you know, I, I spend a lot of time training my staff. So they are almost aesthetic consultants uh, or business consultants. So they're starting to think not just as a software on border, but as somebody who's looking to solve problems, what are the issues that you have? How do you deal with your patients? How do you see them in your clinic? And then what we do is start suggesting how they might set up their software to achieve the goals. So it should be really about problem solving rather than listening to somebody tell me that they must have a MailChimp integration, a zero integration. If they don't have those things, then they can't possibly use the software. And I feel like we have to spend a bit of time to say, well, hang on a sec, how often do you send out your newsletters via MailChimp? Oh, maybe once every couple of months. Okay, and how often do you use your zero integration? well, my accountant wants to do my books at the end of each month. Mm. Oh, okay. So we've got two things that happen once a month. How long do you spend on the newsletter? Oh, four hours. And as you start breaking it down, you realize, well, actually, maybe the the MailChimp integration isn't the thing that you really, really need. The thing you really need is the one that's going to save you six hours a week, which is automated payments. So you don't have to do the reconciliation. Maybe it's the reports that actually work and save you real time.
1: Yeah, I was just going to, go back to the point uh, in the previous response that you gave, Iskari, around how you segment your database and, and send them specific messages. And just to sort of add to that is that we live in a world now where we're constantly bombarded with people trying to get us to spend money with their product or their service. And to me, there's nothing more irritating than getting a message that's not that's not relevant to me. or well, they right. they've, You can tell it's a generic, you've just been put in a database and you've been blasted and the hope is that a certain percentage of those people will go, yes, I'll I'll, I'll take advantage of that offer, or I'll get in touch. But you don't understand how many people you're annoying and alienating from your business and your brand by sending them things that are not relevant. So, you know, sending someone something for a lip filler promotion or what have you, that constantly already gets lips or, You know, know, as you said, like running a report, show me everyone that's had tox that hasn't had this treatment before, or show me everyone that hasn't been back in the last six months for this. Like, if you can sort of get to a a point where it's specific and relevant, you're going to have a much better relationship with your your patients and and stop alienating them with with messages that just don't mean anything to them.
2: Yeah, and actually, the, the opposite of that is that you can send messages that really help people out. Yeah. The people that get their toxin treatment are usually people who really want to have their next toxin treatment because there's nothing else that's going to yeah. give them those kinds of results. Yeah. And often they're busy. And so when they get a message that says, oh, hey, it's been five months since your toxin treatment. You might have noticed that things are starting to wear off. If you'd like, you know, click on here and you can book your next one. It's really easy. Actually, often they come in and say, oh, thanks for the message. If I yeah. hadn't got the message, I'd have forgotten because I didn't realize it had been so long. Yeah. And so actually, rather than annoying people, you're helping them out and you're in, improving their experience.
1: Yeah. Because people are disorganized these days. I mean, we're just, as you said, we're so busy. That it's <laughs> we're so busy. It. Yeah. I, I
0: have to say, it's funny. I, I, I rarely do SMS blasts, uh, similar to what you said, but I, I did do one the other day just but you know just to see what would happen i guess and i know what will happen every time i do it the first people who reply are the people who opt out of the messages because they don't like being marketed to and that's always going to happen but problem is then you can't remarket back to those people for for other things that maybe are relevant to them so i think one thing that's worth doing in in your consultations with your regulars is to say hey um Maybe in the past you've opted out of um, marketing. Sorry if you know, we annoyed you, but it is kind of important that we get your permission back because there may be other things that are relevant to you. So you know, if, if it's not relevant to you, just ignore the text message. You don't have to opt out. Uh, I sort of feel people yeah. are very hasty to up, unsubscribe to emails or, or opt out of text messages, I and think. then you sort of lose them. So the, how, do you, how yeah. do you strike that happy balance?
2: I think taking it a step further... And letting people know what your intentions are regarding mm. marketing. So one of the things that we do is we say, hey, please don't worry. We're not a company that's going to message you every week. We send out messages sparsely, sparingly. And when people know that they're probably only going to get something once a month, once every couple of months, they're, they're happy with that. Yeah. But I think it's that fear that when you get that first message, you think, oh, here we go. Yeah. It's going to be three times. A week. And some people do that. Right? You, you get that message over and over again. So, um, yeah, we just try and be honest with people and, you know, don't be trigger happy. Yeah. There's a valuable relationship that you've got to nurture.
1: Yeah. So you could be constantly messaging your database, but different segments of your database. So potentially you could set up a rule that says automatically send this message out to these patients who haven't been in for tox for six months. So every month there's going to be inevitably a number of people that fall into that rule get a message so you're constantly marketing your business but as you said you're being targeted and specific and thoughtful with it so you're not just irritating people with hundreds of irrelevant messages to them
2: and and don't forget most importantly is the rule is broken when that person books in again so if somebody books for their treatment next week the system will exclude them from those messages and so i think that's what really upsets people the most is when you get that message which really shows you're not thinking because they think well hold on I, i booked Already, well, why have you sent me that message? Yeah. So it's those little. It's not AI. It's nothing kind of too fancy. It's just common sense, you know, marketing one hundred and one.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I've always had a question about these systems, and my system does this as well. When you do do that SMS blast to people, um, my system currently gives me a, a certain number of text messages every every month for free, which is always tiny, and then you have to pay an additional amount per text. Like, how much does that cost? you as the crm system is it expensive it always seems expensive and i feel like it's a money grab from from the developer but i you yeah. know you can answer that better than i can
2: yeah so i think it's one of those problems again which is that we don't pay enough for our software on a monthly basis and so software companies are trying to recoup okay. some of what they feel they should have charged in other ways mm. i wanted to uh, provide a platform where there were know what we, you know, people always ask about hidden costs. So for example, with our system, you don't have to pay anything extra to secure an online booking. There's uh, a, a model that some others have adopted where for every online booking, you pay a certain amount of money. That can add up to quite a lot of money at the end of the month. So we don't have any of those types of um, fees. So the one fee we do charge for are SMSs. Mm. Um, so yeah. There's definitely profit to be made on SMSs, but of course there are emails that are completely free of charge and don't cost anything at all. So it is a choice. Um, we were working towards a place where you could buy bulk messages in advance and get discounts on them. We didn't get there just yet. And one of the reasons is because you need developers to build that stuff. Yeah. And there's always that competition of what's the next thing that you build? Is it some great new functionality that's going to save somebody a lot of time? Is it the ability to buy text messages in bulk? Um, so, yeah, the, the ongoing day-to-day conundrum of a software company.
1: Yeah. How long does it take your average new customer to get a handle and be competent with columns? Like how many hours is it? It's yeah. sort of, is, I mean, maybe that's how long is a piece of string, but just roughly.
2: Yeah, sure. To um, learn how to make a booking and do the very basic things for somebody running a front desk, you know, make a booking, check somebody in, take payments and the like, that actually can be done in less than four hours. So we kick off with a, a four hour kind of training block um, that we offer and you should become pretty proficient in that short amount of time. And the thing that we then started doing do was splitting out our training so that you didn't try to learn the whole system all in one go because you're not going to use everything all in one go and if we teach you how to do the reporting which you perhaps need to do once a month or once a week you're going to forget all of that stuff by the time you actually need to use it Mm. so we started to get more sophisticated with our training where we would apportion it out and do these smaller sections of training at different parts of your journey uh, and for different people So if you're the front of house, hey, why don't you attend this bit of training so you know how to do those rules? But actually, if you're the clinic manager, you need to attend some more advanced training and we're going to show you different things through your first few weeks. But the quick answer, I guess, to your question is that front of house should be up and running with columns less than a week and be very comfortable with that. And your administrators and your back of house staff should be confident within a couple of weeks with those more advanced. Um, items Mm -hmm.
0: um i think david touched on it earlier and and you sort of answered the question about people not utilizing their reports enough or even just the software enough and one of the issues that i'm assuming happens maybe i'm wrong is that the data that comes out is only as good as the the data that's put in obviously that that's obvious so apart from obviously you know booking a patient and name and details and checking them out and how much they paid are there any other common things that people don't do that would would make you know that data a lot more useful
2: yeah so the bit you just mentioned is obvious but there are lots of other things that aren't so obvious so we were talking about um marketing and creating different groups that's all triggered by different things it might be triggered by an invoice generation or the category of a treatment that's been placed on that invoice if you haven't set up your data card, and i don't mean patient data but what i would call resource data your treatments how have you set up set them up in categories for example because that's what's going to start triggering our rules so you've got to set up your resources correctly your services, your categories, your products, your brands, etc. cetera. Um, and then you have to be absolutely clear that you are checking people in and out correctly. Because if you don't use the system correctly, it's not picking up the data points that you're then going to use to run reports mm. or send marketing messages later. So for me, actually, my number one would be, make sure your staff do the training, make sure you do the training, and then make sure that people keep doing the right thing. Yeah. And it's one of the things that's really kind of made us want to cry with columns is that we've had people say, oh, I don't need to do the training. And I'm not quite sure what to say to that. What, <laughs> how are you going to use it properly if you don't do the training? And then people say things like, I haven't got time to do the training. But this is the thing that's going to run your business. If anything, this is the thing you should spend most time learning because this is the tool to drive your business forwards over the next few years so yeah lots of things to try and uh educate people about in yeah. terms of the value of software the importance of using it correctly the importance of training your team to make sure it's used in the right way to give you maximum value
1: yeah it's it's a systemic problem it's not just with crms i see it with financial data as well i was looking at a, a paper mm-hmm. customer's financials yesterday and looking at their expense column and no categorization of products purchased, consumables, like everything's just lumped together. And they're asking me questions around, well, what do I do next? And my response is, well, I don't know. The first, thing, <laughs> because I, if I don't have, if I can't see what's going on in your business, and how can I sit here and put my hand in my heart and give you advice that I think's pertinent and relevant to you if I don't have that data? It's like it's like trying to get to a destination without a map. It's like it's impossible. Right. Um, and so. It, I, don't, I don't know what needs to be said to get this paradigm shift for people to realize that this is really powerful stuff. You need like, you know, looking at how profitable certain treatments are, how your stock takes being managed, are your staff being, all your, your resources being utilized to their maximum efficiency. Are there people in your team that are lagging behind? Are there certain treatments or products that aren't moving? What, what, what's the cause for this? Um, all these decisions that you need to make on a, on a daily or hourly basis as a business owner, if you don't have that map, you're just guessing or hoping, and you know, as I said you know, many times before on the podcast, hope's not a strategy. That's not going to help you. Um, and as soon as things start yeah. to become tight, you, these are the things that you need to know. What's your average spend? What's your return rate of your of your patients? Yeah, like these things are just so logical to me as a business person. But for some reason, there's this disconnect that people just don't seem to understand that they need to put. Like you get out of life what you put into it. If you don't put the time into putting these details in then you're just guessing that your next move is going to be right. And as soon as things get tighter in the marketplace and you're looking for a competitive edge, th- these people are really going to suffer. I mean, I, th- I think I've joked about this yeah. in the
0: podcast podcast before, but it, it, it's a, a bit like me saying, tomorrow I'm going to open up a pizza shop. Yeah. Well, I don't know anything about pizza or ingredients or orders or cooking or yeah. or nothing. So for a, you know a nurse from a hospital who suddenly decides to be an injector, it's almost analogous to that. They don't mm-hmm. know anything about running a business mm. or you know working with patients who actually give you money because they've never done it before. Yeah. So it, it yeah. it's no different. It's just business acumen and sort of sitting down with a solid business plan yeah. you've talked about it a million times David. Yeah. And working with people like Askari who are basically running your business in a box to work out how do the two things connect? And then then you're up and away, it just works once you know the language and the data that goes in.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a funny human sort of habit, isn't it? We will do things like go out and drink and have a, have a big night, knowing that we're gonna feel like rubbish the next day because we wanna enjoy ourselves now. But when you invert that proposition, like you're gonna go to the gym, you know, it's gonna hurt, you know, eating, you know, sometimes saying no to that dessert is gonna be tough, but you know, in the long run, you're gonna feel better. But it's almost like we're happy to accept the pain later but not do the work up front to get the benefit afterwards. And it's the same with this kind of software. If you do the hard work now, if you put in the hours and take the extra few minutes to put in the right data, it's going to benefit you so much in the long run. But Mm. it just seems as humans, we're just so adverse to that. that, And I don't understand why.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the things I've never understood, and this is really common here in Australia, is that you will get injectors sort of basically deciding overnight, right? I'm going to go out on my own, rent a room and... (laughs) and I'm starting tomorrow, that that's the business plan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you must sit all the ti- all the time, Ascari, because, you know, people are sort of buying a license for columns. And then it's like, like you said, they've got the keys for the Ferrari, but they, they don't know what the hell they're doing. So do you nip those people in the bud and say, well, whoa, 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 like, hold on, we, we haven't done the training and, you know, who are you? And like, do, do you find those people jumping the gun? I guess is my question.
2: We certainly do. Um, And we try to give the advice where we can. And I think, again, people often feel that they're too busy. Um, They've got more important things to be thinking of, their CQC inspection or their latest training that they're going on. So my dream is to get to a place where we're offering not just software, but we're offering, offering some consultancy also. Not the kind of a consultancy as detailed as David's offering, for example, but the consultancy about, hey, this is how you set up your software. This is what we recommend regarding your data, your resources. And then let us check in with you in a week and in a month's time, and six months' time, and ensure that you have your system set up in yeah. the way that you need it for your business. Yeah. The problem is that's really expensive. It takes time. It takes expertise. And so if people aren't prepared to pay for it, and they're not even prepared to put their time aside for it, it makes that a very difficult place to end up at. So one of my, um, I guess one of my goals is to work out how can I persuade people that there is value in giving up their time and then stage two, actually paying for that kind of, uh, that consultancy.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems so obvious. People are happy to spend, I don't know what the UK prices are, a thousand pounds on a tear trough course why the hell wouldn't you spend at least the same on the CRM course? Yeah. Uh, it, it seems logical, <laughs> but it's not sexy, is it? You've got to sit in a room and listen to, you know, data rather than watching someone do tear troughs. It's just not as sexy to sell, but but it will make you yeah. money. Yeah. It really will make it you will. money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, if I had uh, clients that had that data, my life would be so much easier. I mean, I've got a couple that are really good, but for the most part, it, it's 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 trying to... The pieces of the puzzle together without having, you know, the map like the key, like you just it becomes a really, really difficult proposition.
2: I'm going to put one last thing in there, if you don't mind, which is that these people who are coming into business perhaps for the first time or they're early in their business careers, there's a lot of people out there trying to give them advice. And Mm -hmm. I think it is tough for them to navigate that. Mm -hmm. So, if there's a group of people out there, for example, are the accountants yeah i've heard some really unusual advice given by accountants regarding the information that the accountant needs and i know that they don't need the information that they're asking for but they're asking for it because it's easier for their bookkeepers mm-hmm. or for their processes and i feel like sometimes you need to kind of push back your accountant is somebody that you are paying to provide you a service it, it should be set up so it's easy for you not easy for the accountant uh, i've got a great relationship with my accountant and and we are extremely efficient in the way that we shift data to and fro Um, and that's I think another part of it as well do you know what it is you need the data for is it valuable to you what's valuable to me is a business that's eight years in has got quite a large team behind it may not be relevant to somebody who's just starting out Um, so that whole consultancy piece I think is even more valuable how do you navigate all these different people how do you uh, make sure that you're happy regarding the way that you're documenting your tax, especially in the UK, with this, you know, that the problem with medical treatments and non medical treatments having different tax statuses? Uh, so this all comes down to getting great advice mm. from people who've been there and have done it and know what they're talking about.
0: I've got a question, and maybe this is more relevant when you were sort of designing it, but maybe now, now I guess you have a problem. How do you? when you're leading a project or, or, or an idea like columns, you can risk getting quite tunnel visioned in in, in your concept yeah. and your idea. So how did you sort of, um, I guess, get rid of your own biases and and maybe get some critique and, and market research to, to kind of say, hey, I think you've kind of gone off path there. You might think it's good, but your users are, are saying it's not. So how did you sort of uh, balance that?
2: Well the the starting point was to think about how did i think my clinic would need software to work and then trying to check in with myself and say hey not everyone's got the same clinic as you what if your clinic had only one practitioner or what if they were an individual going around three different sites because they rented a room so i'd keep checking myself that way but then i started going out to trusted colleagues you know i've been in the game a long time i know a lot of people that I trust and respect. And so very early on, I started showing them what columns could do and how it was set up and getting feedback that way. Mm. And then when we went out to market and we started getting paying customers, we keep a, a feature request list is what we call it. And it's an Excel sheet. It's got a list of requests and the number of people that have requested it. But here's the key thing yes you must listen to your customers for sure and that's what we did to drive the next stages of our development there's a big but one of the mistakes i think that some other software companies have made is that they listen to too many people and put in too many things not everybody is a software expert in fact well very few people are software experts but they all know that they want a button in the top left corner that says whatever it might say and can't you just do this and can't you just do that if you say yes to it all you end up with a lump of spaghetti Mm. and those simple user journeys that we're trying to achieve fall down because you've tried to please everybody so yes it was important to not be tunnel visioned and i went out and spoke to a lot of people but at the same time every now and again i could look at a feature request and say oh do you know what I hear why you want that in your particular scenario, but another thousand people aren't going to want that. It's going to slow them down. Mm. So knowing when to actually say, no, I I will be tunneled visioned on this one because this is about efficiency and what's best for the community.
0: And I've actually been in conversation with my own CRM recently about this, and I don't Know obviously what happens in the developer stage and, and and the back office when we make a suggestion. So th- some things easy can be actioned overnight, and other things might take a year. Is is that as arbitrary as it is?
2: Yeah, perhaps not a year. But the thing, one of the biggest things I've learned is that the things I thought were going to be very straightforward. Why can't you just put the button there and then when you click it, this happens? Some of those things can take weeks of planning and then actually many weeks of building and then many more weeks of testing and then you release it and then people start breaking it mm. and the thing that comes to mind i don't know if you have the uk dragons then there but you've got theopathitis mm. and his job almost was always to try and destroy the product okay and he would say hey is this fit for they'd Like, yeah yeah yeah. and he'd smash it with a hammer <laughs> and then it would break and then he'd say oh look it's this rubbish <laughs> but what happens is you know like anything to do with invoicing and payments for me is sacrosanct Invoicing payments and reports, they must work. They must work always. And so you spend weeks and weeks testing a new feature or something that you've upgraded. You release it, and then you start getting reports of problems. And you think, how? We tested this for weeks at the cost of thousands of pounds. But you didn't bank on a human who was new to columns and hadn't been given the training by their employer. You hadn't banked on them clicking six buttons one at a time or, or... pressing back on the browser button, on, on the browser, and then clicking the buttons again. <laughs> All these things that humans do that you hadn't preempted to help you build your software better. But just going back to your question, because I'm probably not answering it well, is that it can take a long time. It can be very expensive. You can do everything possible to make sure it's right, but then you put it out there, and then people do stuff that you didn't expect. Mm. So then, it comes back. You work on it again. You improve it again, and then you send it out again. And we do that even now. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy to share some of these things. We had a problem. It happened once in two years where there was a duplicated payment, which is quite a big deal, right? We should never have that. It got picked up very very quickly. We looked into it. it took I don't know a day or two to work out what happened, and it was just that somebody had clicked take payment, and there'd been a slight delay. Between Stripe and our server. You know, every now and again, one in of however many hundreds of millions, you know, of messages that get delayed. And uh, instead of waiting the extra second for it to then go through, they tapped on take payment several times, one after another, because they got annoyed. And one of those taps somehow connected to request the take payment again. So then we're like, oh wow, okay, we ended up having a big meeting, several people, how do we prevent this from happening? And so it goes around. So that's why things cost so much money. So mm-hmm. those, you know, that that the height, the height of our burn of that 60K wasn't just building lots of new stuff. It was going back and looking at stuff that had already been built, had already been working beautifully for a year, 18 months, but for me it was so critical that when one of those issues came up, I wasn't going to ignore it. Yeah. And that comes back to what I was saying, that when I was a customer of other companies in the past, I didn't feel that I was valued. Because when I reported a problem such as, hey, this one thing happened, but it was really critical to my business, they would lodge it and go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But in their mind, it wasn't that important. It only happened once. Maybe it wasn't that big a deal. And guess what? It was never fixed. Um, And maybe I'm being foolish. Okay, I'm not approaching this from a pure business perspective. Because from a pure business perspective, I would ignore it. And I will just put it down. Hey, somebody in Askinology pressed the button six times. Don't worry about it who else could possibly press the button six times? Well, I'll tell you what, there'll be a lot of people who will also be, you know, we've got to fix it. And so um, I guess what I can say is that I don't regret any of it, because it means we have a really robust piece of software, and we have customers who know that they're valued. And when they tell us that something's not right, we go in and we fix it. And that legacy, that brand appreciation i think is going to continue so when we're ready to take on new customers because we're still going i don't think we've actually talked about like, yeah. part two of the
1: we'll get to that the yeah. story <laughs> we're
2: still going it's just that we're pressing pause on that huge money burn we're pressing pause on the development of brand new features and we're just sitting with what we have at the moment which is a fantastic very extensive range of features that work really well
0: yeah so if you're using columns, just to clarify, your existing user, you can carry on as you are. There of just course. will be no new features for now.
2: That's right. We still have lots of features in the pipeline that are still being released. So, for example, um, on what day, I forgot what days it is, but this week we have a load of new things going out there. We'll have some over the next two or three weeks because they uh, are coming through the pipeline. But some of the big plans I had for the next couple of months are going to be shelved until further notice
0: okay so you know we're not going to ask who your funder was and how much it was but what's the situation now do you have a plan b um you know just where are you now because you know i'm guessing everything has changed hour by hour for you
2: okay so we're in a good place now is the first thing to say and just to recap for anyone who tuned in halfway through <laughs> the story was that my funding got pulled on the Friday I sent out a message on the Monday saying to everyone oh my gosh we're going to have to close this up at the cost of 60 grand to myself that I, I didn't tell anyone that by the way but it was at the cost of 60 thousand to myself I was going to give everybody 30 days to get their stuff in order and we were going to turn the lights off and the exposure and the story um got out to somebody who thought the columns, Uh, had a lot of value, got in touch, was very keen to see that project continue. So with a couple of days of frantic phone calls from San Francisco and still trying to work on UK time on the other side of the world, um, we came up with a a new strategy. Uh, And in essence, the very quick version is cut your costs, stop building as rapidly as you have been building and don't take anybody new on. You know, I was talking about the idea of that consultancy, the training, trying to get people to use columns, right? That's really expensive. Mm. And people weren't paying for it. They weren't even paying, in some cases, the the value that we needed for the monthly subscription. And so um, our strategy of, hey, go out there, do a lot of stuff for people, even if they're not paying enough to cover it, to get that brand identity out there, we're having to pull back on that. Mm -hmm. So we've had some quite large customers who are waiting to come on board, some uh, multi-site clinics, some internationally. We've had to go back to them and say, hey, really sorry, got to press pause on this. We've given people back their deposits. We've not tried to hold on to them or make it difficult for them. And we've got enough money from this uh, individual that came forward within 48 hours of that first announcement going out. We've got enough money now to go on this kind of even keel many, many months to come. So we don't have any concerns about our cash flow over the next couple of years, really. And in the meantime, I'm out looking for new funding so that we can continue with uh, uh, our original. It's not going to be the original strategy. We are going to be more cautious about how we go forwards now because we have a product that is actually quite mature now. You know, it's been built over a period of five years. It's had a lot of money spent on it. In total, uh, about 1.4 million of mine, a hundred K of some previous funding. So altogether, we were at one and a half million. And then we have, you know, each month, we've got money coming in. So it's a decent mature product that's in a really good place.
1: Yeah. So, just a, so 1.5 million pounds. So that would be, what, nearly 3 million Australian. Is it double? Plus, uh, just under double, yeah. Yeah, 2.8. And American dollars, 2 point something. Pops, so, two, yeah, a lot, a lot of money. And so what type of, I mean, are you looking for partners? Are you looking for angel investors? Like what's your ideal scenario in terms of moving forward? Yeah.
2: Angel investors are where yeah. we're
1: looking and have looked in the past. That was
2: where I'd got my original uh, funding that that fell through. Yeah. So yeah, we're looking for angel investors, preferably a small group, uh people that can also um add value yeah. to the column's journey. Um I think for anybody who comes in now is going to be in a great place yeah. because I've worked for 5 years yeah without a single penny in pay. Yeah. And we have this product this one and a half million in that has a great customer base who love the product. I mean, after the announcement that we put out, um, I think we've only lost three customers, yeah. maybe four. And a couple of those people don't want to leave. It's just they had already paid deposits with other mm. software houses and they aren't confident that that software house is going to give their money back. I won't mention the names, but um, so people love the product. Yeah. Um, we just uh, were on the crest of really taking off uh, internationally. Yeah. And we've had to press pause. Yeah. So it's a great moment to come and join.
0: I had always assumed that it was a UK-centric system, but you're implying that it's not. So, I don't know, if there's an investor in Australia or America or somewhere yeah. else, like how, how user-friendly is it? Is it in other markets?
2: It's already set up, uh, multi-currency. So dollar, Australian dollar, euro um, are, are there ready to go. You just click the selection we've got our tax uh option set up to cover the states as well where you know in some states they have a different tax for the service Mm -hmm. versus a sale tax for the products etc so that's all ready to go um we haven't gone to the us just yet though because we need to get the hipaa compliance and that was one of the next things on the list that we were going to do but you know we're ready for europe we already have customers in australia um yeah. So yeah. when the time comes and we're ready to switch on again, it's definitely going to be continuing that international uh, expansion.
1: And have you done much forecasting into the future as to like how profitable the business is going to be or what, what it would look like if you can sort of tick off all the things that you want to achieve in terms of development?
2: Yeah, there's no doubt we're on yeah. track for profit. I Yeah.
1: Am... I'm
2: very confident. I'm not going to share numbers right now. To be honest, they need to be yeah. reworked because my strategy has changed. And yeah. my wife has not been impressed with the amount of time on this holiday I've been working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, wife. We're going to get yeah. up soon.
2: I kicked her out of the hotel room. And I said, look, you cannot come in the hotel room between this time and this time. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going yeah, to have to make to do.
0: But yeah, um,
2: I, I still really passionately believe, passionately believe that to build software that is great for a practitioner, and then to add the bits around that is far easier than to build a piece of software from a software developer's point of view, and then to try and make it work for a practitioner. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I've already brought the most valuable bit to the table. The next bit, so let's create some new reports. Let's now create uh, an automatic ordering. So those are the uh, ancillary bits to the main, you know, to the to the, to the main offering. Yeah, And we we already have that and we have much else uh, besides.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess we'll um, maybe part with with some sort of final thoughts. And one of them would be, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs, particularly those uh, medical professionals who want to maybe venture into something outside of their wheelhouse? I guess you can maybe speak to software development, but just if you could draw upon some of the advice and, uh, sorry, challenges that you've been through and the solutions you've had to come up with, what would you say to that?
2: Right. Well, the advice, I think, if you're medical and wants to get into medical software, don't do it
1: <laughs>
2: or do it very carefully. Now, the reason I say that, actually, is that I think the market is becoming quite crowded mm. for, you know, clinic and management software. So I certainly wouldn't try and start doing that now. I mean, we're five years in, but uh, the landscape's changed. But just more generic advice. For me, the biggest thing, I mean, I'm 45 now. And... I have learned so much over the last couple of years that I never thought I could learn. And the biggest thing is about team. Building a team that you trust, that are really good at what they do. And I think it's one of the things that I struggled with the most. I'm not a software guy. And that meant that I didn't know exactly what was going on with the software, even though I was asking and I was specifying what I needed so yeah i would say getting a co-founder who is uh an expert in the field you're dealing with so if you're going to go into software development find someone who's great at software that you trust and is going to go on that journey with you and if it's design or anything else get somebody who's an expert because we're the the medical expert and they would be the expert in that bit that we are not familiar with
1: mm-hmm. yeah and that can sometimes be difficult because uh you know we've all got an ego to a certain extent and i think once you attain the uh the qualification of doctor, particularly that sometimes admitting that you don't know everything or that you need someone else to help you can, can sometimes be a difficult uh, paradigm shift. Not, this is not pointed right, at me, I mean, not not only doctors, I mean lawyers, but ba- anyone that's professional in a particular right. field that's reached the height of, I guess, attainment is that there's there's a there's a risk of becoming almost arrogant and not willing to sort of right. admit I don't know, I'm good at this, but I'm not good at that, and so that's. Admitting what you don't know and finding people or surrounding yourself with people who complement your your skills and ability um, means yeah, that you can achieve yeah. more together. Yeah,
2: You've got to leave ego at the door, for sure. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, you have many experiences that are very humbling. So, you know, yeah. me writing that communication that went out uh, last Monday, the week last Monday, I mean, I think probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I was sitting there thinking, what should I put in it? Yeah. Should I include how much money I've spent on this product, or does that make me look foolish? Are people yeah. kind of just telling nah, that? That is scary. What was he doing? Eh? What was he thinking? Got my mum's voice. I can think in my mind, thinking, I was like what would she say?" You know. Yeah. But you got to be humble, right? Yeah. You just come out. And it is what it is. And this, what about you? Do next? What do you do going forwards? And I, I truly believe that columns is in a stronger place now than it was before because yeah. I've learned. I've learned more than I knew two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, well, you, you don't learn from the things you get right. You learn from the things that you do wrong. Mm.
2: Mm. And the things that are the most expensive, right? The, most, <laughs> the more expensive <laughs> they are, the, the more you learn, yeah. <laughs> the quicker you learn.
0: The yeah, more, the, the 1.5 million investment also helps. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I guess to, to finish, this this definitely wasn't a pitch to look for someone with uh, deep pockets. But, choking aside, if someone is listening and, and wants to be connected to Ascari, we're happy to facilitate that. So just shoot us an email to info
1: at insideaesthetics.com. Yeah. And we'll we'll hook you up. Yeah. Why not? Well we're all fantastic. friends here. Yeah. I mean, we've created, I guess, a, a global community from you know from around the world, as I guess the non global global imply. But um I think I think this is something that uh we can pull together as an industry and, and sort of help help each other and if, yeah as you said if there's someone out there that sees this as an opportunity wants
0: to get involved well even if up. you're not yeah. the person with the money but there are many injectors who need a decent crm system yeah. so think about your, your your network of rich people <laughs> 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 and, and send us an email but uh, anyway joking aside thank you so much and uh, we feel bad that we've interrupted your holiday but it was really yeah, no nice to cool. talk and and get to know you and uh i don't know yeah. if i'll see you at amwc next year i'm definitely going i bought my ticket I yesterday so, so yeah. i'll come and say hi yeah. um otherwise we'll catch up another time yeah. Yeah? come and visit us in australia
2: i would love to jake david thank you so much for having me on the show uh, it's you. been a pleasure everybody has thanks All right,
0: thanks, thanks thank you thank see thank you later you, Bye. bye for our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan
1: and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.